here in Ann Arbor, an overcast and rainy afternoon. We could, we could just sit back. It's raining. But we carry books, wash the fence, concoct in the kitchen, begin to clear a path in the garden, clean, work on an immigration issue, and try to practice each moment. It's hard amid the karmic winds that surround us, each our own. Yet, we're still here, not done yet. Well, good evening, folks present here and also those in the 10 directions. It's good to know you're there. Buddhism came to Korea in 372 AD. It was brought by a group of Chinese who brought gifts to the king of Shila, I believe it was. And um, that's how, though there already had been things going beyond on between Korea and China, it became more official. And um, in those days, there was uh, a monk by the name of Icha Don. And he had a, a saying which has always stuck with me because even though he was talking about his own time, like that early time, I think it's still, applies and it was it takes unusual people for unusual things it takes unusual people for unusual things and he was referring to bringing buddhism into a country and i've just seen it over and over again as we have worked with buddhism here that we're all unusual people <laughs> in a very beautiful way. So then, Koreans seem to be particularly deep spiritual seekers. So we can find a lot of stories of Korean monks and Korean lay people who went to China because there was a real renaissance of Buddhism and especially Zen Buddhism there. And the Korean monks got so very good that one Chinese master says, and they would be get good and then they would go back to Korea, you know, and start uh, the mountain temples in Korea. And so one Chinese monk said, you know, I think the time is gonna come when we're all gonna have to go west to get the Dharma which is west from China to Korea. So it was a really unusual lot. Uh, and I think really smitten 
by the Dharma and by practice. And I think that that's what I always experienced when I was on pilgrimage a couple of times. There was a, I use the word spunky too much, but there was a spunky feeling about it. So this morning in my, in my talk, I um, emphasized urgency quite a bit. And I would like to um, say a little more about it. First of all, I think all of us are familiar with what we experience when we hear the four great admonitions. Great is the matter of birth and death. Impermanence surrounds us. Be awake each moment. Do not waste your life. It's urgency. That all came out of the tradition and also out of the Avatamsaka Sutra. And in that booming time, when Chinese and Koreans were mixing and practicing together, there was um, a teacher by the name of Boshan, and he uh, made up a, well, let's see, I found a description in, he made up uh, a, a little book that everybody liked to carry around. You can imagine it sort of, you could have it in your pocket and you'd always be looking at it for inspiration. And it was said to be portable, convenient, no nonsense, pocket companion guide, addressed practitioners directly, uh, providing not just method, but morale, not abstract discussions of theory, but rather sermons, exhortations, sayings, autobiography, autobiographies, letters, and anecdotal sketches, dealing frankly and encouragingly with concrete ups and downs of lived practice. So I can imagine carrying that little book around and opening it up to get a little advice on this and that. And I have a, I was able to, the reason I am thinking about it because I've been looking at um, a book of compiled Korean Zen teachings. And a lot of them come, of course, from the Chinese and also from this Boshan guy. So he wrote about urgency. So I'd like to just share um, what he said. And he always says, in doing practice work, that means when you're practicing your meditation, doing your chanting, your prostrations, that. in doing practice work, the crucial thing is the word urgency. The word urgency has the most energy. Without urgency, laziness arises. When laziness arises, so do carelessness and doing as one pleases. If you apply your mind with true urgency, carelessness and laziness, out of what will they be able to arise? 
And then the next section, section 214. With a single word urgency, you will immediately leap over the three karmic moral qualities of good, bad, and indeterminate. If in your meditation practice you apply mind with exceeding urgency, you won't think of good. You won't think of bad. If you apply mind with exceeding urgency, you won't fall into the indeterminate. If you are urgent about your meditation, there will be no excitement. If you're urgent about your meditation, there will be no torpor. Mm -hmm. And I particularly like this last one, 215. I can imagine somebody reading it in their little pocketbook. The single word urgency is the most tender-hearted phrase. So do your work in the most tender-hearted way. And it goes on and on and on, but not always about urgency. So that's a kind of koan for us, you know, how do you do this work with the unknowing mind, urgent, continuously, everywhere, in the most kind-hearted way? I guess it starts with a kind-hearted way toward ourselves. Okay? because it's really easy to be the most fierce judge of ourselves. And that's how we take around karmic stuff that means gets to judge others too. So I'd like you to reflect on Bojong's um, advice on how important urgency is and how he, do it in a kind-hearted way. And then I like to finish, I think I'll finish, with a story of someone who used urgency in a really skillful way. And I think quite kind-hearted, but also a little bit of it like a trickster. So it's our dear Dharma ancestors, Kyung Hyo and Mon Gon. Kyung-hyo, 1852 to about 1912, revived Buddhism when it had been in the doghouse while the Confucians were for centuries uh, ruling uh, Korea. And uh, Kyung-hyo, there's a lot of quite wonderful stories about him that he, the a main thing is that he'd been to the temple when he was just a young boy and uh, he got trained in all the Buddhist scriptures and even Taoism and one other religion I forget anyway he was very well schooled and so he had a great following even as a young man but he had an incident where he ran into a pandemic and when he was faced with doubt and being so scared, he said, gosh, what should I really be doing? I don't think all this talk stuff is really 
worthwhile. I think I need to get meditating and see what's really true. So he went in to uh, a long period of meditation. And, and, and there are many stories. He eventually became a Zen teacher. And many of his disciples really turned out to be the teachers in modern Korean Buddhism today. Um, Sunam was one. And they worked a lot together. It's important in the student-teacher relationship that work eye to eye and nose to nose. You know? And so Kyunghyo and Mangam were going out on begging rounds for the temple. Yeah. They were going to get rice. And because Mangam was the student and Kyunghyo was the teacher, Mangam carried the sack. And they would go a long way to each of the farmers' places in the area of the, mon of the monastery. And they would give a, a, a tithing of rice to the temple. And so Mangam was carrying it, and the sack was getting heavier. And they were walking a long distance, and he was beginning to complain. We are going so far. Why don't these people just bring the rice to the temple? What a terrible thing to say. <laughs> anyway, he was getting crabby. And so then also the sack was getting really heavy. And was, this sack is getting so heavy. So he's, he's saying all this to uh, Kyungkyo. So Kyungkyo is remaining silent. And they happen to be going through a little, um, a little town, a little village. And, um, as they're going through, a young woman comes out of a door and she has um, a jar on her head, seems to be full of something. And Kyunghyo just goes right up to her and puts his arm around her and gives her a big smooch. Well, the girl is really put off by this, a monk. And so she screamed and called her family members who crowded out of the house and started to chase Kyunghyo and Mongam. And they were just running for their lives. You monks, you no good monks. And I mean, I think one of the description has it said they were being chased with pots. So they had to run and run and run. Finally, they left the villagers behind and they were on a little rise. And so Kyunghyo looked at Mongam and he said, so how is, how heavy is that sack? And Mongam said, what heavy? No heavy at all. <laughs> In the urgency of saving his life, so to speak, he forgot all about how tired he was and also how heavy the sack was. Yeah. So a lot of times I think about that when, you know, I feel like this is too much. And one of the things I do often is I go for a walk. I find that it just kind of, what's it called when you get your controls recalibrated or something? It just changes my state of mind. And I know that that's how um, Sogan 
helps himself too, except he runs. Yeah. So we, in the situations which are right now is our meditation practice, we have to develop a little urgency. Think about that. Kind of a little love, tender, kind urgency for yourself. Geez, if I could keep at this, I might be able to be kinder to my daughter. I'm thinking of myself. Not that I'm really not kind to her, but sometimes I don't know exactly how to behave with her so that our relationship works. So I have to figure out, you know, it's urgent how to work with that. And part of it lies with meditation practice because puts me in touch with an intuitive part of myself that I don't usually access. Really important part. And everybody's got it. Everybody's got the Buddha nature. So finally, here we are in a very privileged position to be at Young Manjongjin. So let us not waste the time. Let us practice as if our hair is on fire, but also get in some tender heart. Okay? Okay! Okay! Got a lot more energy than you think. Remember that the first day of Yarmanjongjin is the hardest. The next is still hard, but it's not so hard. And then it goes. So please, practice well. <laughs>